Hello, everybody. And thank you for joining us on um, this Sunday morning in this new normal of, uh, <laughs> of life at Mars Hill. Um, there are two things that we wanted to bring up before kind of jumping into the text. Yeah. Uh, the first one is, is Passover. Yeah, so uh, you know that at Mars Hill we celebrate Passover every year, and obviously with all that's been going on and how it's been prolonged, we're not going to be able to have our normal Passover celebration. But, um, oddly enough, it is taken care of in the text. So it was pointed out to me, Numbers chapter 9. If you look at Numbers chapter 9, beginning in verse uh, 6, this is after they first come into the land. And it says, And there were certain men who were unclean through the touching of a dead body, so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron on that day, and they said to them, We are unclean through touching a dead body. Why are we kept from bringing the Lord's offering at its appointed time among the people of Israel? And Moses said to them, Wait, that I may consult the Lord concerning you. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If any one of you or your descendants is unclean through touching a dead body or is, a long journey, is on a long journey, he shall still keep the Passover of the Lord. In the second month on the fourteenth day at twilight, they shall keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So the same thing is like the first... Passover is the first month, 14th day. So God made a provision for those who are unclean. And I think you could probably justify that we live in a very unclean time right yes, now. People we're trying, walking around we're with trying, face masks. Trying and, to be clean. Yeah. <laughs> so what we're going to do is follow that text and we're going to postpone Passover and also celebrating uh, Easter till May the 7th and 8th will be the next time. That'll be a month away from the original Passover. So what we're hoping is maybe by then everything will be clear. We'll be able to get back together. Mm -hmm. And we will celebrate Passover normally at that point. And if not, if things carry on a little further, we have uh, alternatives to offer people the resources they need online to uh, celebrate Passover in their homes. Yeah, that sounds good. Well, Lord willing, we'll be able to meet back by then. That'd be good. Um, the other thing that we wanted to bring up is uh, on Wednesdays, we've started this kind of one more thing. Right. Um, on Facebook Live. Um, and thank you for those that tuned in and joined us and were patient with us. Uh, we had a technical issue in, yes. the, in the middle of it um, that canceled the feed. But uh, I think we figured out what happened and how to fix it. Um, so if you'd like to join us again, same time, 7.30 on Wednesday, um, we're going to be uh, asking one more thing of the text we're reading today. Uh, in specific, one of the things we're going to talk about in John 13 is uh, Jesus's um, use of Psalm 41 right. and talking about how that's a prophecy being fulfilled in that moment. Uh, and so one of the questions that we want to ask is, um, when we look in the Old Testament, how do we find Christ? Um, are we supposed to look under every single rock and behind every corner and there he is? Or um, is there prophecy that's directly about Jesus? Is it indirect prophecy? Like, what do we do with those types of things? So we'll talk a little bit more about Psalm 41 um, and then offer us some tools and rules uh, to, to be able to be good, you know, readers of the Old Testament uh, through the lens of Christ. Yes. Um, so that's coming Wednesday at 7.30. But this morning, we're looking at John 13, 17 through 30. Um, and 17, really, this verse kind of asks us to recap mm -hmm. on what we talked about last, last week. If yes you know these things, you are blessed to do them. Well, what are the things that Jesus is talking about here? He's just washed um, the disciples' feet, and he's told 
he's responded to Peter's reaction. Uh, don't touch me first. And then, okay, wash everything. Yes. Uh, these kind of like whiplash reactions. And then Jesus has this line in, in verse 16, truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. So the economy of God is flipped upside down. If you know these things, if you know that um, the, the kingdom of God does not operate like the kingdom of, of man, um, that a servant is not above his master and his master is serving. <laughs> so what does that tell us? We're yeah. to serve, right? So if we know these things and do them, Jesus says, you're blessed. Um, and then he, he leads into verse 18 through 19. So let me read that. Okay. I'm not speaking to all of you. So he's addressing the, the 12. I'm not speaking to all of you. I know those I've chosen. But the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. And there he is uh, quoting uh, Psalm 41 nine. So you have thoughts about that thus far? Yeah, so I, I find this passage very intriguing because when you do go back to um, that pre- specific psalm, this is David, King David, who's writing about a very specific um, time in his life. This Psalm 41, right? Yes. Yep. And this is where um, you, you remember Absalom, his son. Absalom overthrew him, ran him out. So David's running for his life out in the wilderness. Well, um, he has two guys. One was a warrior by his side, and one was a wise counsel. The guy who was his wise counsel was a guy by the name of Ahithophel. Now, Ahithophel was a man that David said that when you heard him speak, it was like angels were speaking because he was so wise. Like he just, he knew, he could see things. He was very discerning. And so everything David did, he, he went through Ahithophel, and he took his advice very seriously. Well, Ahithophel becomes a traitor, and he turns against David, and he goes to Absalom's side, and he takes this opportunity to use what he has to actually undermine David. And one of the things that David says in that psalm is, in essence, this is my words, not his, but he's like, Ahithophel, how could you do this? Mm-hmm. We broke bread together. And that's literally, and so you have to understand in, in that culture, um, breaking bread together was a significant thing. We'll have, you know, lunch or dinner with anybody. We'll have, you know, somebody we've never met before. We may say, hey, let's meet at lunch or we'll talk about, but in that day and time, you know, it's a different culture. You ate with people that in essence, when you broke bread with somebody, it was like saying, I've got your back and and you've got mine. And I believe that. And so for David, he felt like someone who broke bread with him and betrayed him, that that was like this ultimate betrayal. Mm. And so it's very interesting that Jesus picks up on that specific story. And I got some other things to it, but I I think that there's something very significant about the betrayal that David experienced and the betrayal that Jesus is about to experience. Yeah. Well, let's, let's read Psalm 41 then and kind of explore that with that uh, story in the background. Um, David pens this Psalm and I'll read it uh, in its entirety. Psalm 41, blessed is the one who considers the poor and the day of trouble the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed and in his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity when he goes out and tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. 
They say, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate uh, my bread, has lifted his heel against me. So there's the, the part that Jesus quotes. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Yeah. That's packed, mm -hmm. right? With uh, what the the story, we, we know it, we, sh we, we know it by now, what's about to happen with mm -hmm. Jesus. Oh, and Brad read it for us. You have betrayal, not just betrayal, but betrayal with bread, with bread. right? Uh, there's the, the idea of rising one's heel against them. Mm -hmm. um, so what I, I think it would be good is to just go through this and, and see, because so often when you see New Testament, the New Testament quoting or alluding to the Old Testament, it's not just that one piece, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's going, the, the whole context around it or the whole passage around it. And this one is, is just uh, really kind of like packed with, with meaning. Um, so obviously Christ has enemies at this point. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, what, and what are they plotting to do? Yeah. <laughs> now, what, here's what's interesting about that original story. Why is Ahithophel an enemy of David? He's been at his side for it. Why would he turn on him like that? Mm. Well, it's very interesting because when you start putting some obscure passages in the Old Testament together, you, you put these genealogies together, you realize Ahithophel is Bathsheba's grandfather. Mm. Okay, so it brings a very interesting twist to what happened with Uriah because David basically took advantage of his granddaughter and Uriah, a lot of people believe when you put those passages together, a lot of Bible scholars believe that Uriah, when he came home and he refused to lie with his wife, the reason he did was because he was already told what David had done mm. and he wasn't going to let him off easy. And so when David, when he goes back, David has him put at the front where he would surely be killed. Well, Ahithophel has probably kept this in. How, how did Uriah know? Ahithophel is serving on David's court. Mm. So he knows these things. Well, all of a sudden think about this. David in Ahithophel's mind doesn't deserve to be king. He's not worthy of it. Mm. And he's not worthy of the grace of God. And there's no way in Ahithophel's mind that God's grace can sustain David. So now all of a sudden Absalom has overthrown David and Ahithophel sees the opportunity. He thinks in his mind, now God has given us an opportunity. God is just and good. Now David's gonna pay for what he did. Mm. And basically that's what right. you see in this Psalm. You right. see those same things unfolding. David talks about being the outcast, being the one at the bottom. And he's saying, blessed are those, when he starts off, blessed is the one who considers the poor. He is the poor mm. at that moment. He has nothing. He's lost his kingdom. Mm -hmm. He's outside wandering in the wilderness, running for his life from his own son. I find it interesting that in our passage, it starts off with the high serving the low. Mm. How, how, do you, how do you get the heart of David in this passage of being a king and yet saying, don't forget the poor? It's because he's been there. Yeah. He knows what it's like. Yeah. I think that's what Jesus is saying. When we realize what God has done for us, there's no way we won't turn around and serve those who are less fortunate. There's no way we would think anyone is below us or below our ability to serve them. So I think that's one of the things that's very powerful about this Psalm connected to our passage with what Jesus has just said. Yeah, and so now he's, he's made enemies. The Sanhedrin are his enemies. Um, the, the people will start to turn against him. Uh, and when you read the Psalm, David's in a similar situation. In verse five, my enemies say of me in malice, when will he die? 
and his name perish. I mean, that's what the Sanhedrin wants, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just that we want to kill Jesus, because they've already made that clear in, in John 11, but we don't want his name to continue on. Yes. We don't want there to be a legacy for this guy because he's taking all these people and the power away from us. Um, and those who hate me are whispering about me. They imagine the worst for me. Something's coming. Mm-hmm. Verse 8 is how I read it. Like, a deadly thing is poured out on me. Like, you're going to get yours yeah. soon. Uh, and then verse 9 the most powerful part here with the connection in these two verses, even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And so you have David's relationship and you also have Jesus's relationship with friends that have turned traitors. Yeah. Um, and that kind of feeling of betrayal, uh, it disorients you, you know, who can you trust now? Yeah. Um, it's, it's scary. But the, the thing I think is really interesting is uh, continuing on with that. Um, what, is, what does the psalmist ask? So if I'm writing this psalm and people want me dead and my best friends betrayed me, uh, I'm going to do the imprecatory psalm thing. I'm mean, like, <laughs> you know, rain down fire from heaven and, and get rid of my enemies. And I, I'm, I want to, you know, I want to see justice done right, right here and now. Um, but what's interesting is David doesn't ask for his friends to be prevented from betraying him. He's not asking for the enemies to stop plotting. Uh, he says, but you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. So the plot continues. Mm-hmm. He's not asking for it to stop. And then he says, an interesting phrase, raise me up so that I may repay Repay them. them. He wants the betrayal to continue. He wants the plotting to continue, but he also wants God to raise him up so he can seek revenge. To whom does revenge belong? The Lord, right? Deuteronomy tells us. Uh, And so it's, it's an incredible prophecy to see that what is happening here is, is going to see its fulfillment or fullness or end in Jesus's own story. He's not going to ask, he's not gonna ask God to prevent Judas from betraying him. He's not gonna ask for God to stop the enemies. He will ask that the cup pass, but always in submission to the Father's will. The one thing he is asking, you know, implicitly with the Psalm is that he might raise up, resurrect, and then repay. Mm-hmm. He will be the agent of judgment in the end times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a powerful uh, Psalm here and uh, really shows that Jesus is in charge. Mm-hmm. In, in a scene where it seems like, um, like treachery is, and betrayal is so unnerving because it undermines your plan, yeah. right? Um, it's why we, we can't, st- we, we know our enemies want the worst for us. And so we plan and we watch them and we can strategize and we, we're ready. What we're not expecting is the person to our right or left mm-hmm. to be an enemy. And so when it's revealed that they are, it's so disorienting, it's so scary. But here Jesus is saying, it's not scary to me. We'll see that he gets visibly upset, right? There's, there's anger and sorrow, but he's not caught off guard. And to prove it, he throws the psalm out there. Yeah, this is, we knew this ahead of time. I knew this before. Matter of fact, I know the ones I've chosen. Yeah. I mean, it even makes it that clear that from the very beginning, he knew this was what was going to unfold. And in essence, he, he relates it back to scripture because he knew that his life was to come to fulfill scripture. 
And I do think that's powerful, these parallels that you have. I saw one commentator that even saw this a little differently, verse 10, uh, but you, O Lord, in, in Psalm 42, you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. He took it as repay them with graciousness mm. because the whole passage is about how God has been gracious to him, even though he sinned against God. And he realized this guy has sinned against him. And he's saying, give me a position mm. again so that I may be gracious to them yeah. as, they, as you've been gracious to me. And um, that would make a lot of sense. We would hope that David would have that perspective of not right. thinking God's gracious to me, but nobody else, and I'm not going to be gracious to anyone else. I don't know that necessarily that's what David had in his mind there, but I do think it's very interesting because here's what's, what happens in that story. This is what's so uncanny about this story and the one that we're reading in John is Ahithophel, when he goes to Absalom's side, David comes up with this this um, plan, and he sends his right-hand man, who's his warrior, he says, you gotta go, and you gotta pretend like you're defecting too, and you've gotta go to Absalom's side. And he said, whatever you do, you've gotta get Absalom not to listen to Ahithophel, because if he continues to listen to Ahithophel, we're done. Mm -hmm. So the guy does, he goes and he gets to the side, and then Ahithophel says, here's what you need to do. And the other guy goes, I don't really think you need to do that, I think we're okay like this. And Absalom decides to follow him, Ahithophel goes and hangs himself. Wow. Yeah. So the same exact picture. Yeah. When uh, Judas's plans fall apart, Judas goes and hangs himself. Yeah. Ahithophel betrays with bread. Judas betrays with bread. Uh, both of them can't understand or accept the graciousness of their king. Mm -hmm. Okay. And both of them believe that their king isn't worthy of the place that they have. Mm -hmm. I think it's just amazing That's how cool. both of those perspectives are there. Yeah. Well, Mark's Twain said, uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. That's exactly right. <laughs> you see, it's, it's, it's a, we're seeing this here. That's, That's awesome. Um, well, well, we'll talk more about that on Wednesday. Um, there's still some, some things to, that we could bring out of that text, like striking of the heel and connection to Genesis 3 and yes. Satan being present and uh, Satan being present here in, in John. But um, we'd like to get through the, the whole text this morning. So let me read um, just verse 19 to continue on. Um, Jesus says, I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. Uh, so kind of the point that, that we made just a moment ago, um, Jesus is demonstrating that he's in charge, um, that, that he's, he's orchestrating this. This is by providence. Uh, this isn't catching him off guard. Um, I mean, can you imagine, so the question I asked my, in, in this text, if, if I was not Judas and I was there in that room, like how, how would I have felt about that betrayal? And I think it's really interesting. We talked about this on Wednesday, but when you look at all four of the Gospels, in the first time you're introduced to Judas in the text, without fail, all four of them call him a traitor or the one who would betray. Right. So the legacy for Judas after this action is set in stone forever. Um, and that's how we, we use it, you know, colloquially, like it's a Benedict Arnold, he's that's a Judas, exactly right? right? Yeah. He's still to this day. Uh, and so I, the, the, one of the sources for the reason we say it today, even people that don't know the Bible would know what a Judas is. Um, I'm thinking it comes from like that heartbreak and the anger that the disciples must have felt. Um, but Jesus is curtailing that, he's curbing that. I'm telling you this now before it happens to comfort you so that you know I knew this was coming all along. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't chastise him, if I didn't stop it right then and there, I must have had a reason not to. And in my resurrection, you'll see what that reason is. Um, 
So he, he's, he's not doing it to like show off his omniscience. Like this isn't some kind of parlor trick. Um, he's not doing it to flout a special relationship that he has with God. Um, he's doing it for a very pastoral reason to give comfort and hope to the disciples. Mm -hmm. So even in the midst of being betrayed by one of his disciples, his, his primary concern is that the disciples would have hope. Yeah. And, and it just like grace after, upon grace upon grace, um, I couldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no way I, I could, could, could do what Jesus did here. Yeah. Not only that, like y'all talked about last week, it, uh, he knows that this is betrayal's coming and he washes the feet of his betrayer mm -hmm. even so. Um, I mean, just the act of humility and service is, and graciousness yeah. is unfathomable from a human perspective. I tell you that, uh, I'm telling you what's going to happen so you know that I would believe that I am he. I, I wondered what is I am he? What does he mean by that specifically? I, there's a ton of options at this point. Mm -hmm. Like we've gone through not all, but almost nearly all of the I am statements. Um, but I don't wonder if the, the main one that he has in mind is that you would know I am the word. Right? I, I am the, the vessel of revealing not only God's will, but the way that he orchestrates bad things for good. Yeah. Right? And, and that all culminates in, in Christ um, to give them comfort. And not only comfort, but confidence in moving forward, which is why I think um, one of the reasons that the Lord reveals these types of prophecies and explains them to us is so that we would have confidence moving forward in the face of betrayal or adversity or sin. Yeah. Uh, verse 20 says, Truly I tell you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. So who sent Jesus? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, again, it, it goes back to that special relationship that Jesus has always had with the Father that's, you know, highlighted throughout the Gospel of John. Mm -hmm. And over and over again, he always comes back to that, is that you have to know that not only is God my father, there is a special relationship. You know, many people would call God their father. Yeah. But there is a special relationship that Jesus has. There's this knowledge that he has, uh, and there is this um, wisdom that he emanates that comes from the father. And it's way different than anyone else, any religious leader, any other person who's ever walked the face of the earth. He has this connection because he is God. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think part of that, I am he, I think you're right on target with that. There's a picture of that, who God is and, and the I am statements. Yeah. And again, there's an I am statement, not one of the seven that typically you look at throughout the Gospel of John, but uh, there's a lot of them outside of those seven yeah. where you see yeah. that, that same thing being developed there. I th so when I came to this text, um, I had the first thing that jumped out to me was... Um, with the sending and receiving, sending and receiving, John 14, um, who is Christ going, to, or the Father is going to send after Christ is removed, and that's the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And I don't wonder if in this verse 20 we see the operation of the Trinity, right? Mm -hmm. Whoever receives anyone I send receives me. Like, who's, who's coming after Christ? The Holy Spirit. The one who receives me, the Son, receives him who sent me, the Father. And right. so you have all of this sending and receiving in the way that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, God, um, works um, is, again, comforting yeah. to know. 
And the, the thing I think is really interesting, if, if that's true, then Judas did not receive the spirit that, the, that God sent. He right. received another spirit, right? And we're about to, to, say, to, to see that in the text. Yes. In verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So the prophecy narrows, right? If, if you were not sure what Jesus meant about alluding to Psalm 41, let's say you didn't memorize that in Hebrew school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now he's pretty... He's, he's narrowing in. And it says he, he became troubled in his spirit. One translation said Jesus became visibly upset. That same word troubled is the one that we saw in John eleven thirty three when he was deeply moved in his spirit, um, when he was greatly troubled, when he saw Mary crying over the death of Lazarus. Mm. And looking into that word, we saw that it was, it was, it has at this core an anger or, or an upsetness. Um, so he's angrily troubled. Yes. He's frustrated. Why? Why would he be angry? I mean, the obvious reason <laughs> is he's about to be betrayed. Right. Right? But uh, is, is there something we can pull out of that, I guess? Yeah. Um, there's definitely this connection. There's not many times that you find Jesus getting visibly mm-hmm. troubled and upset. How many times is it throughout the... Gospel of John, we talked about that recently. Was it three different times? There's only been two so far. Two so far, and there's mm-hmm. one other? I think when towards the end, like yeah. in Gethsemane. Yeah, so it's not something that happens often. So when it does happen, you have to pay attention to those circumstances. And I mean, what do you see? What is the characteristics? What are the connections between yeah. the two that we have so far? Uh, death and betrayal. Yes. Right. So those are... Uh, right up the enemy's alley. That's exactly right. Yeah, closest, close, the closer you, he comes uh, to the enemy, the more that we see this kind of reaction. Yeah. Um, I, I think the other thing, too, that, that is, uh, that's causing this emotional reaction is uh, that Jesus is offering Judas an opportunity for repentance, mm-hmm. right? Not once, but twice. The first time was pretty... It's not explicit, it's implicit, it's implied. So if you know that story, and I'm telling you, one of you is betraying me, and that story's running through your mind, you know who we're talking about here, right? Everybody's had that, like, professor in class who knows, like, you've got a bad grade or you're not doing it, and then they bring up that one student that's pulling the, the bell curve down, yeah, <laughs> right? that's right. And so you got, you, yeah, Joe just raised his hand if you couldn't see it at home. Um, everybody's looking around like, who is that one? And you're like, come on, you know it's you, right? So I think Jesus, by Jesus telling him that story, like that should have convicted him. But what did it do? It just pushed him into his betrayal even further. And then now he's going to almost explicitly offer a moment of repentance. He's going to hand the morsel and Judas doesn't need to take it, but he still does. And so I think that there's a part of this trouble that Jesus is experiencing that's rooted in anger, but I think it's also sorrow and frustration that he's continuing to hold his hand out, but Judas is not taking it, but that's grace, mm. right? That's, that's a continual outpouring of, of God's grace. Yeah. Um, and, and man, Jesus isn't Spock. You know what I mean? That we, we, we always have this picture of Jesus as this just stoic, unemotional, unemotional yeah. thing. No, it's not true. Like, be angry, don't sin, Paul says. Um, but Jesus had emotions. He was a human. 
there's the person of, of Christ is, has humanity to it. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think that's that continued opportunity for repentance is grace. If I knew I was going to be betrayed, I would be bitter and I would act like maliciously towards that person. Mm -hmm. But Jesus doesn't. No. He, it's a picture of the graciousness of God. Again, I think it's, why would you not respond that? Think about that for a moment. If you're Judas and you have an opportunity to repent, the only reason you don't repent is because you're not convinced yeah. he is who he says he is. Yeah. So I think that that's really what it comes down to is, again, it goes back to both stories of Ahithophel and David and, and, and this picture here. Uh, Ahithophel doesn't think David is worthy mm -hmm. of it. He is not the kind of king that he wanted. And again, in our story, Jesus has not become the kind of king that Judas wants. Mm -hmm. And he's not convinced that he's worthy of this position. So therefore, it doesn't matter what kind of grace you offer me. If I don't, if I don't think you are who you say you are, I'm not going to accept that. Yeah. And I think that's what troubles him the most is I, I think about what Judas has seen. Yeah. I mean, what he's yeah. experienced in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And yet at this point, he's still willing to turn him over. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's sobering to you. Yeah, right? it is. So I, I, couldn't, um, I couldn't help but wonder if what Jesus is saying here has a connection to um, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, when you, so Jesus has an opportunity, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, doesn't take it because that's not, that's not God's way, right? So you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. So he has this guy that he knows full well is going to betray him, and it's going to lead him to his, to his death. And then uh, let me read part of this in Matthew 5 to see if there may be some connection. I don't know. It's just interesting. Um, it's not like a, a polished sermon. This is a, a, a more raw conversation. There's grace here. It's grace. There's, There's grace. tons of grace. But 39 <laughs> in Matthew 5, it says, But if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have his cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And give the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Okay, so the, the elements of harm against the enemy that you're not supposed to return, like tit for tat, is slapping the cheek, sign of disrespect, declothing, which is shame, walking a mile in servitude, if a soldier or somebody makes you walk one, walk two, and then borrowing which is an emptying out of what you have for somebody else's benefit. Mm. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. So if you think about it, I, I don't know. In, if Jesus may have the betrayal in mind uh, all the way at the and beginning of his that. ministry, uh, because these are the, the same things that are about to happen to That's Jesus. That's pretty fascinating. Cheek, clothing, mile, borrow. How will Judas betray Jesus? With a kiss, right? right? So on your face, cheek. Um, what will happen at Jesus's trial? He's going to be stripped nude yep. by the soldiers. What happens at Gethsemane? He's forced to walk not only from Gethsemane to the Sanhedrin, not only to the Sanhedrin, but to Pilate's, not only from Pilate's, but to Golgotha, mm -hmm. right? right? And then um, what will happen that Christ accomplishes on the cross, a cancellation of debt because of an emptying out. Yeah. So, so I don't know. That's I don't know. It's pretty, pretty fascinating. It's pretty interesting. Uh, you held out on me. I didn't hear you say that this week. <laughs> what? It's, it's that's a, good. That's really good, though. Because if that's the case, then not only did Jesus know this was going to happen, like at the beginning of the dinner, he kicked off his ministry knowing that this event would come. Yeah. And, and he says, like, these are the things that you ought not do when you're faced with them. Watch me. Follow my example. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not just speaking this. I'm going, to say, I'm going to do it in the presence of my disciples. 
and you're going to watch this happen all the way through, through to my death as my enemies continue to, you know, kind of compound their disrespect and abuse uh, on top of me. He remains um, sub, subservient to the Father's will and does not resist the one who is, who is evil, or there's yeah. evil all around him. I say it's interesting. I don't know if it's true. None of the commentaries had it, so usually you're like, back away. No, you know, that, that's, I mean, it's so, there's so much connection there, like almost in sequence that yeah, it's almost right, hard to right. deny that. That's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. Um, well, John 13, uh, 22 through 26. The story continues. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. So he said, one of you is going to betray me. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So he dipped the morsel of bread. He gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So this text but part of the text can be a little convoluted. It's hard to keep up with what's happening here. And we also have like Da Vinci's The Last Supper sitting mm-hmm. in, in, their, in, their, in our mind, mm-hmm. right? Everybody's for some reason on the exact same side of the table. Yes. Uh, it's a really long, straight table like you would find in, you know, pre-industrial Europe. And, uh, and what do you mean they're leaning on each other? Like that sounds really strange. So, so what's going on like here culturally that might help us understand this? Yeah, well, theme? first of all, they, they see it uh, as... It has a very specific word, but it's a U-shape is typically the way they How they're sit. seated. Not the table necessarily, but the formation of right, the Right, the formation yeah. of it. And the tables in that day and time were only like two or three feet off the ground, mm-hmm. and they would have pillows. So they were literally reclining. When it says reclining, they were lying down. They weren't sitting up like you see in that, in that picture there. And there were also places of honor. That's what's interesting about this passage mm-hmm. is we always think of Peter as being Jesus' right-hand man. But if you really look at the Gospels, he wasn't. He was like this loud mouth guy who's always saying things. And so he gets that attention, but it's usually negative attention. <laughs> but he's not Jesus' right-hand man. Not until Jesus says, on you, I'm going to build the church. Typically, what you find is Judas and John are the ones who are closest to Jesus. It's interesting, uh, reading and studying for this, that uh, some of the commentaries noted that Judas was probably the most prominent of all the disciples. He come from the most mm-hmm. prominent family, was probably the most influential, probably even the most educated mm-hmm. of all the disciples. So he does present this uh, perspective of being the leader. And it makes sense that if, if you got that guy, you let him be in charge of the money, which we know Judas was in charge of the money. So... In essence, you might have seated here Jesus, John on one side, which makes it so interesting that John has this information because he's so close to what's happening, and literally Judas on the other side because he's close enough that when Jesus dips the bread, Mm -hmm. he's right there to hand it to him. He didn't walk around to the other side and hand it to him. He's literally right there. What does that speak to this situation? Yeah, I mean, it just pushes the betrayal to another level. Um, yeah. So it wasn't just the disciple. It could have been Jesus' right-hand man, but it was certainly one of the disciples that was the most respected in mm-hmm. the community. So, I, I mean, this, this speaks to, it wasn't just some guy that betrayed Jesus. It was somebody that people looked up to that betrayed Jesus. Yeah. So there's a, a warning for, for leaders, right? Like if you walk away, you apostatize or whatever, you, you're fracturing a community. So, yeah. so be careful. Um, but yeah, that, that, it, that understanding of kind of that cultural context. And, and also there's, um, there's 
this giving somebody bread uh, f- off your plate was also a sign of respect. Mm-hmm. It's al- also a sign of grace. I found, um, I think, thought this was interesting in, in Ruth. Um, you see a similar scene uh, in chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. Ruth is speaking to Boaz. She says, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her the roast grain. She ate until she was satisfied and had some left over. So what's interesting is um, we've already seen kind of this episode before where uh, there is somebody who is lifted up to a place of honor and then you have the dipping of the morsel into wine, which was a a common practice. Um, But this makes Judas kind of like the Mm anti-Ruth, right? Because Ruth was not a part, or Ruth, Ruth was not a servant of Boaz, but she was invited, dipped morsel into wine, ate and had her fill. Judas was one of Christ's servants, one of his disciples, had the same thing, but left and and betrayed him. We know the ends of the story, they're completely opposite. And Ruth's in the bloodline of, of Jesus, right? Yeah. So, uh, but but I, I think knowing sort of like that kind of background and then the, that U shape also helps us understand here. I, I, don't, I don't know if I saw it kind of both ways in commentaries and I don't know what, what you think about it, but I don't think the other disciples knew the conversation that was happening between John mm-hmm. and Judas. No, it was quite, I think that's why the proximity mm-hmm. is important to understand. So this is why two things, why Peter had to motion you know, like he's one of you's going to betray me, and <laughs> like record scratch. <laughs> Everyone puts their food down <laughs> and starts looking at each other. I mean, just let that moment set for a second, and then they start talking to each other. Like, who is it? And then you can, you know, when somebody's like, "Shh, talk, don't talk," and then like it just the volume rises inevitably after that. So I think the the volume in the room starts to go, and Peter looks over at John's like, "Ask him." Yeah, <laughs> like we well, need to know. You're close this. enough. You're you ask. <laughs> And, but Jesus, he'll tell you. He'll tell you, right. He likes you, and he likes Judas. So you two ask him and figure out what's going on. Yeah. And Judas fully knows, like, it's him. And in this really intimate moment, this the last time that Judas has an opportunity for repentance. He doesn't take it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so it, it makes it even, even more, I don't know, bitter um, to know those things. I've, I've heard, and this is complete speculation, but again, you have the picture of the bread. Like you said, tradition is you dip it in wine. Mm-hmm. Jesus turns and hands him bread and wine, which, you know, that's a picture yeah. of. The question is, did Judas ever take it? Mm. It doesn't say that he ate it. It just says he took it. It says yeah, that he took yeah. it that's and he left. And of course, then Jesus afterwards is in this whole ceremony. Yeah. He gives meaning to that bread yeah. and that wine. And he says, as often as you do this, remember me. And that just brings a whole nother element of remembering yeah. that not only his suffering, but his betrayal. That's really interesting. I, I think I see the, and knowing what Jesus has called himself so far, um, knowing that water into wine is a picture of his blood being shed on the cross and he has already called himself the bread of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, the bread of life is giving bread to his betrayer. I mean, grace, grace, yeah. grace, grace. I mean, you, you, it, the whole scene, we, we typically think like the main point of this is don't betray Jesus. And really, I think the main point of this is see how much grace how Jesus gracious gives. God yeah. has been. Yeah. yeah. Even um, knowing he offers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's unbelievable. So verse 27, then after he being Judas had taken the morsel, 
So he didn't eat it, like your point you're, you're making. Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Um, so we talked a lot about this on Wednesday. Like, what does it mean uh, that, that Satan entered into uh, Judas? Um, so you can, I think you can go to the Facebook page and watch that conversation if you'd, if you'd like to, to uh, learn more about it. Um, but, but some kind of the highlights, if you don't have an opportunity uh, to watch that, is uh, the, the application here is there's, there's wheat among tares mm. and tares among wheat. And um, even witnessing the best example of righteousness doesn't save you unless you believe. Right? So the point you made earlier, can you imagine like everything that Judas saw? John gives us a huge glimpse. We can catch it from the other gospels, but John says like, look, the whole world would be filled with a massive library of the things yeah. Jesus did. And still, Judas didn't believe. Why? Because truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah. Right? So the, you can see the example, um, but unless you are a new person by faith in Christ through his grace alone, um, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And what I think is, is interesting is uh, how difficult is it to ascertain the state of somebody's soul? Like this cautions me against judging um, people in the sense of, well, that person's going to spend eternity in the absence of God, but that person is definitely going to spend eternity in the presence of God, right? Because if, if, if you were to like time out, walk into the room, into the upper room, be like, hey, just a real quick poll, everybody who's sitting here, um, how many of you expect to see Judas in the kingdom? They'd all raise their hands. Yeah. How many of you expect to see Nicodemus in the kingdom? No. The guy in the Sanhedrin? No way. Yeah. And yet, what do we see, right? Judas is about to betray, and Nicodemus is going to, uh, to tend to the body of, of Jesus, um, counting himself, making himself unclean, yeah. and foregoing Passover, yeah. foregoing that, that, that uh, celebration. So we ought to be very careful. Like, we, we, don't, we don't know. Yeah. Right? We can judge by fruit, but we It can. goes back to that old saying that <clears throat> we don't like, it's not that we lack information, it's that we lack transformation. Yeah. So you can know everything about Jesus, know everything about the gospel, but in, unless you've been transformed, a new heart yeah. is what is the, the transforming factor of, of, of salvation. Yeah. And, and the one thing too, um, did the devil make Judas do it? No. Right. Um, John's already told us that this was a plot that had been growing in uh, Judas's heart. Um, and the, the way I said it on Wednesday is that the devil didn't make Judas do it, but the devil also didn't turn the invitation into his, to his heart down. He's, he's going to take that invitation every single time. Um, and so you, you talk a little bit about how it's interesting there's a parallel between this and Pharaoh and the hardening of heart and those types of things. So really interesting conversation. We would direct you there. Um, but winding down... Um, the last few verses in 28 through 30. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Remember, he was so concerned uh, that the money, the oil being spilled a few chapters ago should have went to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. Uh, and this is an incredible statement, yes. really, when you think about it. And it was night. Is that just a time stamp, or is there something more no, to it? No, <laughs> that's deep. That's very deep, yeah. And it was night. It was night. So the thing that I think is fascinating, of course, 
uh, he's telling you it was, it was the end of, end of the day, but it's not, is it? It's not the end of a Jewish day. Mm. It's the beginning, beginning of a, Jewish, of a day. Jewish day. So this is not the end of something. It's actually the beginning of something. The betrayal of Jesus by Judas puts into motion a day of, uh, of uh, sacrifice that's coming, right? Mm. I think that's fascinating. It's the beginning of Passover. The beginning of Passover, right. It's crazy. Yeah. But um, also the, the theme of it's night. Yes. It's as dark darkness. as it could be. And of course, there's a theme of light and darkness throughout John. Uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. John makes a point, says, and it was yep. night. Um, so every time there's this picture of night, there's something just dreadful and dark that's happening. There's this picture of, of ignorance, mm-hmm. of um, misunderstanding. And I think that all that it finds its culmination right here in this yeah. passage. The one who should know, like we said, of all the people, the one who should know doesn't know and he walks away in darkness yeah. and, and you think about it ultimately this is the last time he has any intimate moment with Jesus I mm. mean the next time he sees him he kisses him and says rabbi says a couple of words and that's it he never mm-hmm. sees Jesus again yeah I think it's also interesting too um, that the word light shows up 16 times in the gospel of John and it's never again spoken here so that's it. This is the last time we see that the kind of light and darkness hmm. explicitly ends. Um, we see light, of course, in the resurrection, um, but never again do we see it after it is night. Um, you mentioned he doesn't know what he's doing. There's ignorance. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. Judas has no clue where he's going. Yeah. Um, so the, even though it seems like things are taking a turn for the worse, which they are, we know the end of the story. Prophecy gives us comfort, so it should have given the disciples comfort even though they didn't know, but they will. Um, but bringing up that it was night and evoking the light and the dark type of thing reminded me of John eight twelve. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Um, so for us, for you at home, like, it's not night yet. There's still hope. Yeah. Like no, no matter who you are, it's still day. Um, as long as you have life in, in your breath, in your lungs, in life, uh, it's light. It's not dark. Um, so as long as it's day, um, believe, there's hope. follow. There's hope. Mm, there's, there's an hope. opportunity. Yeah. yeah. The bread is still being extended. Right. Well, um, that's John yeah. 13. <laughs> I think there's a lot of application to it as well in the sense of, you know, you mix those two stories together. There's this powerful passage that reminds us of, number one, how do you treasure Jesus? Because, you know, ultimately Judas, Judas is about to sell him off when in just a passage a few ago, he wasn't worthy of the expensive perfume, mm. but he'll sell him off for way less than that. Jesus isn't worthy of receiving something. I am worthy of receiving something. So easily we can get to that point in our own walk with Christ. And it's because we don't understand who he is. Again, he's not become the kind of God that we want. Therefore, we think about ourselves and what can he do for me, not what can I do for him. And again, this passage reminds us, Jesus modeled for us. This is is the life of the people who are a part of this kingdom. And that is, you don't put yourself first. Mm -hmm. You put others before yourself. And uh, I think that in in a light of the context that we find ourselves in today, 
Um, everybody's rushing to get toilet paper. Everybody wants hand sanitizer. Um, why? Because they're looking out for themselves. And I think the one thing that we find so inspiring is when we hear these stories of people who don't, people who are sleeping in their garages because they work in the emergency rooms and they're mm -hmm. not wanting to infect their family when they go home at night and they get up the very next morning and they go back into that battlefield. Yeah. And we just think that's inspiring. I think that it's inspiring because what we see is it's a little microcosm of the gospel because mm -hmm. that's what Jesus did. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus was literally willing to take on our infirmities, willing to take on the thing that beset us the most, which is our sin. And he did it in service and humility, even though he didn't have to. The God of the universe stepped down and did that. So again, how do we emulate our king? And we do it by serving. And I think that we all can find ways to serve even if it's just calling a neighbor and finding out how they're doing mm -hmm. and just spending some time talking to them on the phone, some people that you know, maybe elderly people that have been shut up, uh, maybe walking and knocking on their door and just standing outside and pull a chair up and let them sit inside and you sit outside and just spend some time talking to them, yeah. um, serving in that kind of capacity. Yeah, yeah. Skype some people, yeah. Zoom some people. Yeah. Yeah. There's Good. lots of ways to do this in a very, uh, very applicable context that we find ourselves in. Social distancing. Yes. Somebody said it, the way we should be thinking about it is the church is distanced socially. <laughs> Flipping it backwards. And, and that means so much to so many people, yeah. especially those who had already been shut in or uh, relied on other people. And now those things are drying up. Um, we have a ton of opportunities to serve wisely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, we hope to see you on Wednesday. And uh, until next, next week, Lord willing, we'll continue to be able to meet. Um, if we're not, we've got plan C, <laughs> so you don't have to worry about that. We'll continue uh, to broadcast Some form of fashion, we will be Somehow, here. Somehow, um, we'll be there. Um, but Jeff, Might be in front of a bookcase. It will it'll be in front of a digital <laughs> bookcase, but yeah, would you like to pray for us? Yeah, yeah. God, we just thank you for such a rich word that reminds us um, to always be thinking about our attitudes, um, or to take your grace seriously. Lord, it just amazes me again that Judas could have seen so much of what you've done, heard you teach from the mountainside, seen the way that you showed compassion, and yet completely just think about himself. And yet I know that I'm not too far from that. Lord, I've seen you do so many things in my own life. I've seen you do it in the lives of so many other people. And yet in those moments, we can become so arrogant. We can become so selfish and self-centered that all we think about is ourselves. All we think about is our own prayers being answered, our own situations being relieved. And yet it's in those situations and those difficulties that you remind us of who you were in the sense of coming in the form of a man, that you came and bowed low from heaven, became a humble servant to humanity who had rebelled and gone so far against you and away from you. And yet you bowed down, you took on the form of a servant, you wrapped yourself in servant clothes, you washed the dirty feet of those who were rebellious. And Lord, you set that as an example for us. Lord, that the kingdom of God is about service and humility. Lord, we need a dose of that in the church today, especially in, in America. <clears throat> Lord, I just pray that this passage would weigh heavy on our hearts and our souls, especially as we find ourselves in a time where we could fear <clears throat> or we could respond. And I just pray that you would just give us, I know you haven't given us the spirit of fear, but you would give us that spirit of a sound mind, that we would know what we are to do, what we are called to do. Not vigilantes, but people who live at peace when it's left up to us, 
but at the same time that we emulate that incredible characteristic of the kingdom of humility and service and love. And so God, I uh, pray that this would not just be something that we understand and be amazed because we can see the connection to the Old Testament, but in our amazement, Holy Spirit, make this real in our life. Lord, I pray that you convict our hearts and our soul. I pray that you give us the ability, Holy Spirit, to live out these words so that we could be a reflection of Jesus in our community and our kingdom. And we ask all of this in the powerful and sovereign name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you.